This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Rush go back to back. Jeffrey Cornwall scores the goal of all goals. Zach Greer decides he doesn't need to be close to the net anymore. Adrian Sorchetti stops by with a bit of Champions Cup hangover. And now what? Now what? Well, I'll tell you, coming up right here on OTCB. had scripted it and handed it to me, I probably would still never have believed that that's exactly what was going to happen at the end of Saturday night's game two. I truly had never thought of that outcome. And I was so impressed and I was so happy and I was so enthralled with every moment of that lacrosse game that I couldn't take my eyes off the television. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. I hope that you as well were on the edge of your seat that entire game. True to point, the entire series was fantastic with three goals separating the two teams. That's how close this series was. you want to tell me your thoughts on this show, on the game, and anything else, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on the old Twitter box, at Off the Crossbar, because there's a lot of things to talk about, there were a lot of things to talk about, and we will talk about some of them. I think all the credit has to be given to Derek Keenan, Jimmy Quinlan, and Jeff McComb for the work that they did in preparing this lacrosse club for this series and this game. I'm happy for everybody in that locker room. I'm happy for Lee Genier, who has completely revitalized this organization. I'm super thrilled for Bruce Urban, even though people in Edmonton are still pissed off. I've known him since the start of this organization, and I couldn't be happier for him to see success in this new city because it's all he ever wanted. I'm happy for a longtime friend of mine, Aaron Bold, who was able to just find a completely different realm of goaltending in the last half of this lacrosse season, in even the last month of lacrosse. I'm stoked for Jeffrey Cornwall because he maybe was one of the most unlikely of characters to score that goal, even though he's one of the Rush's best transition players. And then to see his exuberance after the game. And yeah, the kid dropped two F-bombs. Good on him. Nobody can be mad at that. He just scored a goal that will go down in the annals of history as one of the greatest goals ever scored in the National Lacrosse League. On that stage and in that capacity of mindset, he's able to pretty much get away with anything. 
my heart breaks for everybody in that Buffalo Bandits locker room. For another longtime friend and former teammate, Anthony Cosmo, and for Chad Culp. That loss has to sting for everybody in that room. Because they are one hell of a lacrosse club. And they put it on the line night in and night out for 20 plus weeks. It was some of the best lacrosse we are ever going to see. And I can already smile in anticipation for what 2017 brings. And not just on the floor. I think 2017 is going to be a big year for the evolution of the National Lacrosse League. Everything Nick Sakevich went through this year was basically a dry run for him. Because he got in late. He wasn't expected to reinvent the wheel, and he's still not. But he was able to see what works, what doesn't work, who's doing what, who's not doing some things, what needs to be completely changed, and how to successfully move this league forward. I highly expect in the coming months from now here, June 7th, until the start of 2017, that we are going to hear an announcement of a new lacrosse team. It's, it has to happen if he's going to go along his path of making this a 16-league team. He doesn't want teams coming in with six months' notice, so he has to give teams, you know, a year plus to basically do what Saskatoon did. Sort of. Off the floor stuff. I think he's going to have to be proactive in getting solid media markets. Um, He's going to have to get sponsorships. He's going to have to get a lot of things in place over the next year. And I think he has a vision to do it now. He's seen everything. And if the teams are going to be as good as they were this year, the on-floor product will be even better than it was in 2016. Almost a year ago to the day, I sat here and I said, man, in 2016, I wonder what's going to happen with the scoring record. I don't think anyone's going to come close to Sean Evans. You know, there'll be a couple guys over 100, but it'll be like a 112, 114, maybe someone gets to 117 kind of season. I was proved completely wrong. So what happens next year? Even more top-level talent is coming into the league. The Rush have three picks in the first nine draft picks. Just think about that for a minute. The defending two-time national champions who only made two significant roster changes from the year they won in 2015 drafting Dan Taylor and getting a healthy Curtis Knight back, are now going to add three of the top nine and three or two of the top three. They have first 
and third. That's just stupid. Derek Keenan, you are a genius. I don't know how. Some some things I do know how. But I just truly don't know how he's been able to do this. And his teams have never waned since he's taken over. He's just constantly built his team up. So I'm excited for 2017. There's lots to look forward to. There is tons of hope for the National Cross League going forward. Saskatoon proved that if you can go into markets that are starved for pro sports, you can succeed. I still don't really like the idea of going to really small markets or, you know, medium-ish sized markets. I still think the National Cross League needs to be in big draws. But proving what Saskatoon can do and did is just remarkable. And so there's a lot to be excited for for 2017. And I'm excited still from what happens Saturday night. And wow. I've gone back and watched that game a couple times. I've... I've talked to people who watched it, and everyone was just in awe and blown away by not just the game, but the whole environment in Saskatoon and everything that was going on there and how loud it was and just how the players seemed to feed off of that crowd. It really reminded me of 2010 when the Vancouver Stealth won against Toronto. I guess, sorry, they were the Washington Stealth at the time. um, Against Toronto in Everett. And the stealth were down, and the crowd started getting into that game late, and they really helped spur that team on, and they ended up going on to victory. That's how impactful a crowd can be. And that's exactly what we saw Saturday night, and truly, that's what we've seen from Rush Nation all year long since they've really bought into this club, is that this team has been so good in late in the games because that crowd just feeds the beast that is the rush. And you talk to any coach or anybody that has played that Saskatchewan rush team, and they will all eventually say the same thing, that the rush are just on a completely different level. Offensively, defensively, they just don't stop. On defense, as soon as that ball hits the ground, three guys are all over it. They have never-ending gas tanks. It's like they're able to sprint a marathon, and they only need to run half a marathon. Teams just can't keep up. And they were just so good late in games, and it was evident again Saturday night, and they outscored the Bandits in the fourth quarter. And I even said it on Twitter. I said, if this, I think I actually said if this game's tied, then the Rush are going to win. But even if that game's close, the Rush probably had the advantage going into the fourth quarter. And credit to Derek Keenan and Q and Bubba for getting those guys to just buy in on the back end. Because everybody knows that they could be a star on any other team. 
It's not about the individual. It's all about the self. Offensively, they're just relentless. They throw wave after wave after wave of top-end talent. Just like on defense, most of those guys, a lot of those guys, could go and be a star on any team by themselves. It's not about the man. It's about the team. It's about the brothers. And they are two-time National Lacrosse League champions, and I still can't believe it. I'm a proud alumni for that association. It sounds weird. I get that, right? But, like, it's there for the first two years. I can say that. It's just awesome to see how far that group has come and to look back at guys who were there in those first few years, Sheldon Powdor, Rob Williams, Tyler Hevner, Jamie Bowen, Jason Wolder, uh, Jimmy Quinlan was there, Jordan Sunder. Uh, Chris Gill spent some time there. So did Dan Stroop. Uh, Matt Disher, Kevin Howard, Brad Darren, Kerry Krzyzewski, uh, Jason Clark, Randy Daly, Matt Giles was there, Darcy Berthume spent some time there, Dwight Metke, Patty Campbell. Like, the original days of the Edmonton Rush, we, we were a ragtag group. We were bad that first year. And now, 10 and 11 years later, from 1 and 15 to back to back champs. It's pretty sweet, man. Um, we're going to talk to Adrian Sorichetti uh, in a little bit, but I, I just, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about the, the final goal uh, just because, well, wow. Cornwall knocks the big man down, shot, and just getting a piece of it was Aaron Bold. Loose ball in front of Jeff Cornwall. Jeff Cornwall's in alone. A chance to go ahead. Cornwall scores! Now, there's no need to, or for me, to fully go into this goal and dissect it moment by moment. That's Stamper's job. He breaks guys' plays down like that. That's his thing. Um... But what I do want to talk about is just the composure from Cornwall and his simplistic breakdown of what happened. When he was asked about the goal afterwards, this is what he said. The opportunity came up to run on a ball, and once I picked up the ball, the focus was don't let the guy behind you catch me. Like, that was it. And then once I felt like I had space, it was put the ball in the net. Well, yeah. That pretty much is the idea like that's that's just how simple Cornwall has made the game and I truly believe that's kind of how everybody in that organization in that locker room approaches the game just simple uncomplicated mindset don't think too far ahead don't think outside of your playing ability just go and get the job done uh, Cornwall said that you know that's a moment that He's practiced many, many times before. And he takes those opportunities in practice so that he, he knows what's going to happen in those situations. And Well, you can't always emulate 15-plus thousand people screaming with 12 seconds left in a championship game tied 10-10. But at least he can mentally practice that. Mentally rehearse the moment in his mind. And he was ready. 
And it was just like Jeremy Thompson at the faceoff dot. He was ready. Aaron Bold in the, in the crease. He was ready. And everybody was just out of their mind when that goal went in. Like, I, I can't imagine. I just, I can't imagine that feeling on that bench when that happens. Because it's, it, it just has to be the, the pins and needles and the anticipation of, oh my gosh, is this it? Now, I have a question for you. Um, there is a, an article on the forums that for some reason has been down for the past two days, so it's weird. It's like the rush crashed the internet. Um, there was a question posed by Michael the Bandit fan, MTBF. He's been on there since the internet was invented, I believe. Um... And he posed the question of where does the Cornwall goal rank all time? And he gave his top three, and, and I kind of agree with his top three. And the three are in, in no particular order, um, other than oldest to newest. Uh, John Tavares for the Bandits scoring a behind-the-back goal as a rookie in overtime to win the cup against the defending champions Philadelphia Wings in Philadelphia in 1992, Caleb Toth scoring with one or with 0.3 seconds left as the Toronto Rock beat the Rochester Nighthawks in the ACC in 2000, and then Cornwall's goal. Can you give me another goal in a championship game as big as those three? I can't think of them. I can't think of, you know, any other championship games that have gone to overtime. Let alone have a goal scored, you know, like a game-winning goal like that at that magnitude. Those are the only three that I can even think of. I'm sure there's some old-school scholars that can remember stuff back in the day, but I think, again, I put this poll, it's still up on my Twitter account, at Off the Crossbar, it's pinned at the top, of which one do you think are, is the greatest goal scored of all time? And I still don't know. I think, you know, Toth is amazing, but, you know, you, it was either going to be him or Doyle who took that shot, and they shaded it to Doyle, and Caleb had all the time in the world to let his 103-mile-an-hour cannon go that blew past Pat O'Toole and just sent the place into hysterics. Like, that was awesome. Um, JT's was on the road. Uh, as I said, he was a rookie. They were in overtime, and he scores a greasy, greasy, greasy backhander against Dallas Elliott to win the game. And he was a rookie in 1992. And he scores that goal. Like, the audacity to throw that. And then you have Cornwall, probably the most unlikeliest of the three. 
picks it up, runs down the floor, scores in transition with 12 seconds left. The place goes bonkers. So which one do you think is, is the best of all time? Maybe you have another one. Love to hear it. But those are the three. And JT's is currently in third because I think most people haven't seen it or don't really didn't really understand the magnitude of the goal. It's a backhander from a rookie in overtime against the defending champs on the road. Like, that's massive. But I, I think Cornwall has to be the, the cake taker just because of the unlikeliness of who it was and everything that surrounded the goal and everything that was going on and, you know, the fact that he had laid the hit on Dane Smith that made him pass the ball and then, you know, outworked Daner for the loose ball who ended up unfortunately falling but got back up and tried to catch Cornwall and then Cornwall just calmly, boom, bingo. Uh, the Bandits had a chance. They had a chance. And I've gone back and watched it and watched it and watched it. And this is how it went down. Mitski, Rubish, and Cornwall. Smith runs it in. Smith, quick little development. One-timer and a shot and a save. Aaron Bull dumps it down. That's it. Your winners and still National Cross League champions are the Saskatchewan Rush. Nice call, John Fraser. Um, cracked a few times. It's expected. It's expected when you're excited like that. John did a great job uh, of calling the game. Great to see Casey Guerin in the booth. Uh, they did the um, Sastel call and the radio call on 92.9 The Bull in Saskatoon. Um, then on the TV side, it was Andy McNamara and Brian Shanahan with Ray Phillips. Um, many of you have been, may have been wondering, who the heck is Ray Phillips? I wondered the same thing. Um, he was a local Saskatoon guy. Um, that's done some stuff for the CFL and for TSN, so it was kind of a logical fit. Um, but I didn't think he did that bad of a job. Um, I think he did a pretty good job, actually. Everybody uh, did a great job, uh, including the rush defense uh, on that last play. Uh, the reason why I kind of wanted to play for you, and if you go to the NLL website, nll.com, um, go to their video section, you can see this play, and what you'll notice is that that as soon as the play's blown in, Kyle Rubish basically jumps the route, as they say in the football world, and, and basically went right at Dane Smith. And uh, one of his teammates, I think it might have been Chad Culp, was just trying to set a screen for him, but Dane wasn't going to be able to get to a good shooting angle. And so he made the pass. It was actually to Ryan Banesh, not Daryl Veltman, uh, who ended up getting the last shot. But again, it's it's the rush just being prepared for what was to come. And they weren't going to let Dane Smith have a sniff. And you kind of knew that, which kind of surprised me why they would have Dane run that ball down. Like, why wouldn't you let Cope bring it down and have somebody setting a pick for Dane Smith? Again, I don't know what the play was, but you know that final play was just an, a great indictment of what the rush had done kind of all game. And that was just stymie the bandits in that fourth quarter not all game but in the fourth quarter and as a result the Saskatchewan Rush have gone back to back uh, we're going to talk to Adrian Sorchetti in a minute but again I just I want to reflect on the Buffalo Bandit season real quick you know they were uh, the best team in the east you know they proved that they deserved home floor advantage 
for the way that they played in the East. You know, they they beat the Rush in the regular season. They deserved home floor advantage. But down the stretch, the Rush were just a, a better team. But this is a team in Buffalo that I believe um, has some questions. I know a lot of people are, are excited about the future of this club, and I am too. Uh, but, you know, I, I have a feeling there might be some guys who may not be back, back next year. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Chad Culp. He's always welcome on this show. Uh, does he come back next year? Um, you could tell that Anthony Cosmo was hurt in that game. May not, but maybe not badly, but you know he had been hurt much of the year with a lower body injury. He had come back and he seemed to be okay. But the way Cause plays and the way, unfortunately, that that players kind of go at Cause, uh, and as a result, the way Cause plays, he makes contact with a lot of guys, and guys make contact with him. His legs take an absolute beating. And it didn't help that the first goal of the game, pretty much like the first couple possessions of the game, Mark Matthews went right at him and, and dove and scored, and there was contact. Um, I'm not saying it's intentional by any means. Um, it's just what's, what happens when you have a 6'5 body diving across the crease and, and a goalie that wants to stop him who is athletic challenging the play. And you could tell that Cosmo might have you know, re-aggravated uh, that lower body injury. Really looked like it, it was a leg injury. Um, but you could just tell throughout the rest of the game he wasn't the same. And, you know, it was evident, you know, the, the Curtis Knight goal that pretty much happened right after uh, that probably should never have gone in. And then, you know, the, the deep bombs late in that game, especially uh, this one from Greer, that really just kind of had to have been so, so deflating for the Buffalo Bandits. Zach Greer, short-handed, four on the clock, shoots and scores from half, from half! Zach Greer finds a way to beat Anthony Cosmo! Even though the Bandits were kind of able to regain themselves after that goal, that goal from Zach Greer, it, it never should have gone in, but it did, and it was just one of those cases. And if you really go back, and, and I've done this a couple times, I've gone back and watched the game, look how many of the Edmonton Rush goals were scored from guys shooting around screens or shooting over top of picks. How many of those goals that went in did Cosmo not see or saw late and only was able to get a kick save pad on it that ricocheted in? And I think that was a huge thing in this game of sometimes you just got to put the ball on that and Anthony Cosmo. And sometimes it, it, it's with a lot of goalies. I'm not, I'm not just picking on Cos. That's with a lot of goalies. We... Everyone, every coach that I've always had, from minor even to my last days, you know, just sometimes he just got to put the ball on net. And when it's late in the 30 second shot clock and you're shorthanded and there's bodies everywhere, sometimes firing a ball on net isn't the worst idea. And when Zach Greer shot that ball from center, it went around like three defenders and then through Priolo's legs before it went past Anthony Cosmo. Jamie Shuchuk called it the double five-hole goal, pretty much. Like Cosmo didn't even see it from Greer. And as well as he played, to have a few of those goals go in that 95% of the time he's saving. Like, let's be honest. But it was just one of those games. 
And so, you know, it, you know, cause has been in this league a long time. He's not getting any younger and his body's not getting any more flexible or, or any of those superlatives. Does cause come back next year? You know, he wants to. And obviously the bandits are going to take him. But family, job, commuting, wear and tear in the body. It's a question mark. As I mentioned, just does Chad Culp come back? Like those are two guys that they've been in this league a long time, not getting any younger. Have the heart and dedication to come back, but you never know. The defense looks to be in a pretty good spot. Their their youth is there. You know, even if Cosmo does decide that he's done um, and doesn't come back, David Arusha was waiting in the wings, and he's a star in the making. Um, I truly believe the Bandits have one of the best coaching staffs in the entire National Cross League. I absolutely love Troy Cordingly, Rich Kilgore, and John Tavares running that bench. Uh, three guys who know what it means to wear orange and black knows what it means to win in that city and for that city. Like, you couldn't have a better coaching trio if you were the Buffalo Bandits. So as much as the loss stings probably still, the Bandits have a very bright future. And when you have Dane Smith on your team, you're going to be good. You're going to be good with Dane. As mentioned, I was able to catch up with Adrian Sorchetti um, a couple days after the Champions Cup final. I talked to him over the phone, and, um, you know, he's just a fantastic, well-spoken guy. And, and he played a very physical game on Saturday. There were a couple times where he laid some massive body checks uh, on the defensive zone, and, and it was real physical with Dane Smith and Ryan Banesh and that offensive group trying to keep them off guard and, and on their back foot. And um, Sorchetti is one of those guys that is part of that family within the the Rush organization, but the the smaller family as well, the Whitby family with Matthews and Sorchetti and LaFontaine and Curtis Knight and Derek Keenan. You know, it, it's it's a cool dynamic to see how close that Rush family is, and then the inter, inner pockets of that team. And, and that's really one of the big reasons why they are so successful is just the little families that they have. They're like, you know, they, they're brothers and their family. They're like a little town or they're like a little country or a little city. No idea where I'm going with this, but they just have all these smaller pockets of people that just are so close together that they just strengthen everything as one big group. And they're only going to get better with three draft picks coming. He is a two-time National Lacrosse League champion. He's also won a Minto Cup. He joins us live on the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Adrian Sorchetti. Sorch, how are you, buddy? Doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm pretty good, man. Have you slept in a couple days? Yeah, I actually got a good night rest last night. I got in... Uh around 10, 10 o'clock from, yeah. from the airport and uh, tried to go to sleep, but I my nerves are just kind of <laughs> still bumping. I, I would imagine so. Uh, what was the feeling like uh, when those final seconds were ticking down after you guys knew it was pretty much in the bag? Honestly, 
from from experiencing many games in the NLL, you know, nothing's over till that final bu- final buzzer goes. But yeah, um, as soon as Cornwall scored, it was just a sigh of you know relief, you know, because we've been battling all season, uh, all uh, series against these guys, and they're a good mm-hmm. team, and we knew that they weren't going to give up. But uh, there was a bit of cushion room there, knowing that you know we had that one goal lead and um, to just cap off that that final eight second stretch. Um, was something that uh, we practiced all year and ending games so stronger than we started. So that helped us with the win. Is that a big part of this team's dynamic, of, uh, and especially from Derek Keene, of being prepared for every situation? Like you mentioned, you've practiced that situation, eight seconds left, up a goal. Is that just the MO of this team is always being prepared for whatever happens? Absolutely, yeah. Our coaches do a great job, uh, both uh, on the front end and on the back end. But, uh, you know, sticking to our game plan is something that we've stressed all year. And no matter who we play, our systems stay the same. It's just the, the minor details that have to be uh, have to be um, just done 100%. And uh, fortunately for us, the the little things that we did during that game helped us come back and uh, to win the game. Is there a more unlikely goal scorer than Jeff Cornwall in that moment? Uh, probably Aaron Bull. Uh, <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? Cornwall is a, is a great guy, and he's a phenomenal player. And, um, you know, I've been watching him day in and day out at practices and even in games. And, uh, he does everything for this team, and I'm very happy for him that, that uh, the final seconds went, went into his hands because, you know, I, I don't have any confidence in anybody else but guys like that, you know, guys that are hardworking. And um, when they have chances like that, they, they capitalize on it every time. And that's a moment that all us kids grew up, you know, wanting to have, you know, the game-winning shot on your stick with under 10 seconds to go. Uh, if you were in that position, would you think you'd have been as calm and cool under pressure? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can honestly say that uh, those moments, you really have to just hone in on what's happening. You know, when the, game, when the game's in your hands, uh, not everybody can really say that they've been in situations like that, but um, to be honest, it, it does become some sort of second nature, you know, like just like Jeff, he, he's done that many times in practice. Yeah. He practices that a ton, getting those fast break opportunities. So uh, I think I can speak for himself. Um, it, it does become second nature, but just the fact that it was just such a big goal, um, it made it that much more special. When it did go in, was it just pandemonium and chaos on that bench or were you guys still like holy crap we have to you know survive no, I, I was just screaming at the top of my lungs just my body was just so exhausted and yeah. knowing that he scored and I think I just released all my energy with, with cheering from uh everybody on the bench I, I literally blacked out for a solid four seconds uh, it's probably a good thing you had that go. Yeah, it's probably a good thing you had that GoPro nearby so you can remember some of the celebration. I needed that. I needed yeah. the GoPro to just literally capture every moment because it happened so fast. And to cherish that moment, that feeling that you get, it's it's one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. Uh, he, uh, your captain Chris Corbeil last year when you won it first gave the cup to head coach Derek Keenan with everything he'd been through. Uh, and then this year, the first guy gives it to is Curtis Knight, who couldn't be there with you guys last year. How special of a moment was that for you guys as a team to be able to give that cup to to Curtis Knight? And it's he's a family member. I mean, we're all family, right? And yeah. uh, that's something that we've preached since day one. And uh, Coach Keenan does a great job uh, bringing certain people on board, and 
we have a special organization and it stems from, you know, our owner all the way down to our management team. And um, Curtis Knight, unfortunately, had a, had a bad injury last year and um, was fortunate enough to, to rehab that and get back. And um, we won it for him last year. We won it for a few people last year. And uh, Curtis Knight, he's a, he's a great player and a great guy. And uh, I'm glad that he had the game that he did because, you know, the first game in Buffalo, some shots weren't dropping for him. But mm-hmm. uh, he stuck to his systems and worked hard. And uh, he brings it every weekend. And I'm, I'm very happy to be his teammate and uh, to win it again for him this year. When I had uh, Jeff on the show last week, he, we talked about the, the relationship between guys that have played together. You know, there were seven guys in the 2010 Minto Cup team on the rush this year. There was five guys from the 2011 Minto Cup team that you were a part of. How cool is it to see that group of guys growing up together and playing together, especially guys that you grew up with? Yeah, it's it's been amazing. I mean, um, I've, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to grow up in, in a pretty lacrosse-oriented town and um, growing up and looking up to some of these guys and uh, having the ability to play uh, with them throughout my entire career almost and against them is something very special and I don't think many people have the opportunity to say that or experience that so I consider myself very blessed in that situation but um, you know we have a special group uh, mm-hmm. they've been on championship teams before and uh, I do applaud our coaches for keeping us on the proper track and really allowing us to uh, to be the players we can be and sticking to a, a system that works well with us. This was a, a fairly intense game, as was game one, but very close and back and forth. There was no big lead bigger than two goals. What do you think was, was the biggest factor for you guys to, to keep that game close? Because Buffalo was really playing well. Yeah, Buffalo was a great team. And, um, you know, we knew it was going to be tough the moment uh, we stepped on the floor, but uh, we've been, we've, we've had our ups and downs. We've been in almost every situation together as a group. And, uh, the major, the major thing was just sticking to the system. And like I said earlier, you know, working as a group and keep chipping away at it. And, uh, you know, hard work does pay off, especially when, uh, when you're all working together and you're, you're doing those little things. So I think capitalizing on every opportunity, uh, helped us, uh, just, get the edge over the over the bandits but we applauded them since day one because they've been a battle ever since uh they beat us in overtime 1980 yeah. and it was track meet so yeah they're a good team you you guys played a very physical and heavy game against dane smith uh there were a couple opportunities where where you had a chance to lay the body on him jeff had that big hit on him that ended up leading to his goal was that a game plan you guys had to, to be physical with them and, and try to keep them off balance um you know Buffalo's got a lot of great shooters, and uh, I think they do a really good job getting those guys open. But um, part of our our plan was just to keep busy on them, you know, not not yeah. allowing them to get into their comfort comfort zones and getting those shots off that uh, that they have been all year. But um, you know, nothing nothing taken away from Marin Bold. You know, he played a phenomenal series, and I think he bailed us out a lot a lot in this uh, in this final game and. Um, that goes to show with his MVP, uh, mm-hmm. MVP of the, of the playoffs. So um, our defense did a great job, and I think it all started with Aaron, Aaron Bowles right off the bat being focused and, and being the great goaltender that he is. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about Bowles because, like, I've, I've known him since we were young and here on the island, and, and just to see his maturation process over the years from being a, a backup to now a starter and to finally get the recognition and that MVP, how happy were the guys to see that, 
he finally got put on top and, and given that trophy? One of the most focused guys I've ever met, and yeah. uh, every time he steps into the locker room, it's, it's business, you know, but uh, he is one of the best guys I've ever met, and he puts a lot of that uh, energy into being a great goaltender and um, keeping us on track as a defense and keeping us together as, as a family, and uh, I was very happy for him, and, and I know everybody else on our team knew that uh, he deserved this more than anybody else, but the fact that we can share that moment with him and uh, – yeah. Hoist, hoist another cup. It's it's just a special experience for a special group of guys. Uh, last year, you guys went to Vegas. Am I correct to understand this year you're going to Mexico? Uh, the word on the street is Mexico. So <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to sharpen up our Spanish a little bit. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean Bruce is a is a phenomenal guy, and um, you know the uh, owners and, and the whole organization and the management team uh, put in countless hours and just mm-hmm. so much effort into making this this uh first first year in Saskatchewan a special uh special year and our fans did a great job uh embracing us and you know allowing us to come in and, and they really uh brought it every game and I think that was part of our success is having the fans behind us but yeah Mexico is going to be the uh, cherry <laughs> on the top cherry on the top and the rest uh you know is history I guess <laughs> the rest will be on a GoPro I guess um, I, will be, I will be packing a GoPro for sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'll be making yeah. a nice video for um, It was kind of, you know, a crazy 365 days for this organization. You know, you win the cup in Edmonton, and then everyone finds out the organization is moving, and there's all these questions of, of whether it's going to be successful and how the Saskatoon market is going to accept the pro lacrosse game. And, and right from the jump, it, it took off and just gained momentum. And then the way this year capped off, has there been a crazier year in lacrosse that you've seen of just back and forth in two different cities like that? Uh, I'm I'm a little speechless when it comes to our whole process and switching over. And, you know, I've had a lot of questions from even local people, like, what did you expect when you guys mm-hmm. were moving? And honestly, I didn't have any crazy expectations. I, I just knew that uh, we had a, a few jobs when we got when we got there. And one job was to, you know, stay committed, stay tr- stay on the track, and win another championship. And I think our, our fans slowly but surely uh, hopped on the bandwagon. And you know, come that that final game, I think they were uh, back behind us. I think the whole province was behind us 100%. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, it was a great experience, and uh, I couldn't be any more happier for Saskatchewan and everybody that was a part of it this year. It was kind of cool to see when I was there for the West Finals, they were playing all those little vignettes of, of different sports celebrities wishing the, the team good luck in the games. And they just had countless of people that I had no idea had any connection with the rush from all walks of life. But then you guys get felicitations from the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. It's got to be a pretty cool feeling to see the PM taking notice. Yeah, I mean, just the sport alone, lacrosse, it, it doesn't have a ton of exposure. And I feel that... Uh, the Saskatchewan Rush and what we did this year had a bit of a a louder bang in, in the lacrosse world because of what happened, you know, moving from Edmonton mm-hmm. and having all that history left behind there and starting a new season and winning a championship your your first year. But, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people uh, gave shout-outs and um, showed their support. And I think that, uh, you know, having a, a new, new sport in Saskatchewan here professionally is – has been a, a treat for most local people. I've had the privilege of talking to a bunch mm-hmm. of people, and they've, they've even said to me, you know, I've never seen lacrosse before or even heard of the sport, really, but 
my first game going, I, I've been hooked ever since. So I love hearing stuff like that. And just the fact that a sport that we've all put so much time and effort into it and, and love into it is, is finally getting some proper limelight. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, and right, when you look back from 2015 to 2016, you guys got Curtis Knight back and, and you added Dan Taylor. This year, you're going to get the first and third pick in the drafts. Like, you guys have a wealth of talent. Is it ever a bad thing to be able, be in that position? Um, to be in a position of picking the first couple. <laughs> but just to, no. to continually be rebuilding and, like, you're not losing talent. You're just always getting better. Is it? Is there ever a time where that's it's too much? Uh, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure. I leave that professional management to Derek Keenan. I mean, he yeah. knows exactly what he's doing, but um, I feel that uh, he brings on certain people, you know, character people, because yeah. uh, at the end of the day, you don't need the top scorers in the league to, to balance your team. It's more so who's going to who's gonna battle for you in the corner and who's going to do the nitty-gritty to get those guys open and um, to build a better team, I think it, it starts with uh, guys in the locker room, you know, locker mm-hmm. room guys that are true true friends and true family and um, just understand uh, that it's family first and then lacrosse comes second. What do you think the conversation at the Keenan dinner table is going to be the night before the draft if, or the night after the draft even if Derek doesn't take Ryan? Oh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know Ryan knows that and Derek knows that uh, – only the best intentions are, are through the draft. And, yeah. um, you know, Derek is uh, – Coach Keenan is going to be coaching us this summer in Brooklyn, and Ryan has the opportunity of playing. So uh, I think he's a great player, and he's an even better person. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he landed in a, in a position of high draft choices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's the type of kid that would make a big, uh, big impact on any team that he was a part of. So we'll see. I know, I know you're uh, you're a busy busy guy and you got a lot to take care of. But uh, quickly, uh, how's Paradigm Across going? Uh, it's going fairly well. I mean, it's uh, in a soft launch right now. It's not uh, um, completely uh, exposed to everybody, but uh, we've been doing a lot of work locally with uh, organizations and players. And um, once the uh, end of the summer comes, we'll have all of our, our ducks in a row, and uh, hopefully we can. Um, work with other organizations in other areas of uh, of the lacrosse world. So, so far it's good. Thank you for asking. You are a back-to-back National Lacrosse Champion. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that would happen? You know, my mom asked me that on the way on the way back. Um, my dad actually went to the game last year, and my mom couldn't go. And I know prices are a little crazy these days, but I was fortunate enough to uh, surprise my mom to come out and Nice. She asked me that question on the way home, and I said, uh, no, to be honest, you know, growing up and playing the sport, it's just a dream that, that you can be able to play in the NLL and then, you know, finally win an NLL championship once, and then doing it back-to-back is something that uh, will hopefully hit me soon, maybe in Mexico, but <laughs> honestly, it's it's been a treat, and I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Rush, and uh, I thank, thank everybody each day for... Uh, believing in me and believing in our team, and hopefully we can do it next year. Well, there's no so- signs of slowing down. Uh, you guys are the best team in the National Cross, and you're a two-time champ. Enjoy the moment. Congratulations, and thanks for giving us some time. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. There is Adrian Sorichetti of the Saskatchewan Rush and of Paradigm Lacrosse. You can find him 
on uh, they're on Facebook, Paradigm Lacrosse. They're also on Twitter at Paradigm Lax. That's P A R A D I G M L A X. They're a strategic lacrosse development systems company. Um, basically, they're just helping kids get better. Um, simple, professional athletes, professional players teaching future professional players, making them better. Uh, they have speed season going on right now for kids just trying to get faster, get better. Um, so I think they're doing a, a fantastic job. And, and we'll talk to Sorketti maybe next year um, and catch up with him and see how things are going because they got a good group of guys uh, working in that um, outfit. And, uh, you know, as I've always said, the more opportunities kids can learn from pros and guys who have been in this game, uh, the better. So I want to thank uh, Adrian Sorchetti for stopping by. Um, speaking of learning from the best and guys who have been in this game, um, I, I kind of teased off the top, you know, now what do we do? Now that the lacrosse season in the National Lacrosse League is over, what next? Well, for fans up north, uh, the Canadian summer season is in full swing. Um, it's mid-early June already. Uh, so that means that the minor season is kind of slowly wrapping up. There might be only you know, about six weeks left in the minor season. Uh, the senior ball and the junior ball is well underway. Um, who would have thought the Maple Ridge Brards were going to be 4-0? Uh, out east, they're still slowly getting started. But there are some, you know, Oakville beat Six Nations last night. It's going to be uh, a really competitive year in the East. And I think a lot of people keep kind of reiterating that fact that, you know, you still have all these talented clubs, you know, Six Nations and Peterborough are, are going to be contenders. Well, now Oakville is a contender. Look at the roster that those guys have. Coburg is supposedly putting a really good roster of guys together. Closing the gap in the major series of the cross league can only mean good things for that competition level because for far too long, it's been, Peterborough or Six Nations, Peterborough or Six Nations, Peterborough or Six Nations. Then there was Brampton. And then Peterborough, Six Nations, Peterborough, Six Nations. Then you threw in Brooklyn. And then Peterborough. And Six, like, we need different clubs going to the big dance. And that's why, as much as it pains me to say it, I love seeing Maple Ridge at the top of the standings. Like, they've often been the vilified foe in the Western Lacrosse Association. Like, everybody wants to beat Victoria. But in the mindset, nobody likes Maple Ridge. And they're okay with that. They're cool with it. And they just go about their business. And Rob Williams is just slowly building a team that's still missing. Ben McIntosh, Jared Davis, Dan Taylor, Connor Goodwin. Like, they're just going to get four more offensive players back. And they haven't had those guys. They just got Riley Lowen back. Frankie Shiliano is now back. Kevin Reed's suspension was appealed and withdrawn. Daniel Amesbury is going to get five and probably more, maybe more. But this team is 4-0. They just beat Victoria in OT. And they're 4-0. Which is awesome for WLA Lacrosse. Um, Mike Messenger was just announced that he's coming back or coming to the New Westminster Salmon Bellies today. 
So that's awesome for them. Sorry, I was trying to think of where I was like five minutes ago in the show and if I had said what I wanted to say. Uh, Messenger was... I I remembered what I was going to say. I'm going to get back to it in a minute. Um, Messenger uh, was rumored to be going to go play out east in the MSL and play some MLL as well, but um, great news for WLA lacrosse fans that Mike Messenger uh, will be back in town for the summer, so that's good news for him. But where I was going with this, you know, what's next? Uh, Canadian fans have summer lacrosse. Um, There's tons going on uh, with with WLA and BCJ, and the Minto Cup's going to be out here later this year. The Man Cup's back east. Uh, The Under-19 Worlds are coming to Coquitlam later in July. That's a massive, massive field lacrosse tournament that'll be out in Coquitlam. Um, BC's Best is actually tomorrow on Wednesday, July, uh, June 8th. It's uh, one of the best recruitment trips um, for the NCAA coming to Canada. Uh, it's literally a one-day event where 30-plus NCAA coaches are coming to Victoria to watch BC's Best. Um, so I'm going to be out there uh, as much as I can tomorrow, just checking out, seeing what's going on, and seeing who's out there. But that's up here in the north. The north remembers. Um, but down south, you know, what do fans do? Well, fans, you can follow along, Summer League, but the kids are starting to play box across. And the numbers are growing exponentially right now. There are 7,000 kids in 32 states playing box lacrosse under the U.S. box umbrella. And that number continues to rise every year. I uh, was very fortunate to be able to spend some time with the U.S. box kids this weekend uh, at the Trevor Wingrove Tournament in Coquitlam, which is a very prestigious a-level lacrosse tournament, just, you know, the best of the best in Peewee, Bantam, and Midget. So so that's Peewee is 11 and 12. Bantam is 13, 14. Midget's 15, 16-year-olds. Um, so there was 60-odd kids up here from all over the U.S. I think they were comprised of kids from about 10 different states. Um, most of them had never met each other. Uh, I would imagine by the end of the weekend, they only played three games with each other. They some of them probably didn't know everybody's names. I know the coaches didn't. Um, but these kids are learning from the best of the best. Um, see, this is where I was going. The Bandits are getting Tavares, accordingly, Kilgore. Well, these U.S. Boxler kids are getting Santos, Coates, Gallant, Brown, Colsey, Noble, Ratcliffe, Shuchuk, and the list is growing and growing of top-level NLL, NCAA, Man Cup winning, Minto Cup winning coaches creating the next generation of American stars. And while they only won one game this past weekend at the Wingrove, it was the Peewees defeating Langley in their second game of the tournament, which was just an incredible moment for everybody within that group. You could see that they have the skills, especially the stick skills. Their stick skills were fantastic. They just are are still learning the nuances of the indoor game. And, you know, when they play as their club teams, such as Denver Elite, um, the Junior Stealth, 
Cali lacks all-stars. Those are sort of three of the more prominent ones out this way. When those groups played together, uh, they have a little bit more success because they are club teams that are always together. This was basically a, an all-star-ish hodgepodge of players, of kids that wanted to come out here and play. 60 kids, three teams, and they put on a fantastic showing, and they learned a ton, and not just from the coaches, from the referees kind of helping them learn the rules a little bit more, um, to the respect and grace and professionalism the other kids played against them with, you know, the friendships they made, the bonds they built, the memories they created go far beyond wins and losses. Winning and losing doesn't really matter for these kids. Absolutely, they want to win. And every time they lost, it stung and it hurt. But the evolution and growth that they made in just two days, three games, is immeasurable. Because a lot of these kids had never even, you know, seen concrete. Or, you know, because a lot of the leagues play like a hybrid system where there's not a lot of checking, a lot of these kids had never been properly hit before. So it was a real eye-opener for a lot of the kids and a lot of the parents. But it was just so awesome to hang around with that group and just get to know some of the kids and talk to a lot of the parents and just watch them be kids, playing in a different environment, learning a game that's still pretty foreign to them and still have some success. The growth is incredible of these kids. I've, I saw and talked to one kid who had only been, you know, playing box for a couple years. His first year, he was a peewee, and he kind of really struggled with it. And then in two years now, he's one of the most experienced players on the Bantam team, one of the best players in two years. And he didn't look out of place playing against some of the teams from up here. Sure, when they played, you know, the Coquitlam Bantams or the... Um, you know, Maple Ridge Peewee team that's coached by Kurt Miloski. You know, they they got their butts kicked. But they also had great showings. Like I said, they won one game. Uh, the Bantams, I think, took New West to a goal. Uh, the Midget team had some struggles. Uh, but again, they were pushing teams into deep water in the third period. And it was just awesome to see these kids having fun, playing a new style of lacrosse, and just embracing it all. And the best thing that I took out of all of that was literally every parent that I talked to and every kid that I talked to said that if they could play spring box instead of spring field lacrosse, they would do it in a heartbeat. But there's a lingering thought process of, well, if my kid doesn't play field, he's not going to get noticed by NCAA coaches and scouts as I said in my article here's a secret tip for a lot of you American fans and parents NCAA coaches love guys with box experience it's only going to make your kid better if you go to the US Boxer website it's usboxer.com you can click on their teams and you can click on pretty much every one of the kids that were on these travel teams this weekend and it'll kind of you know, ask them what they like about box lacrosse, and they'll all say the same things. I like the the physicality and the roughness and the hitting. I like the speed of the game. 
I like that you got to play offense and defense and that it's not just one guy. Everybody's has to be a part of the team. And that it makes my stick skills better. Every kid said it. And it's true. So parents, if you think that your kid playing the box across in the spring is going to hurt his chances of going to the NCAA, uh-uh. it's only going to help. So there are some things that are still down the road. I kind of talked about, you know, um, you know, Isle Indoor has done their awards, so we're still waiting. League awards, those usually happen in September at the big banquet at the end of the year that coincides with the Hall of Fame. Um, the draft is in September. Man, Minto, Founders, Presidents, um, Provincial Championships, the Canada Day Tournament, uh, U.S. Nationals in San Jose in uh, July, in early July, no, sorry, in August. Uh, there's just because the NLL is over doesn't mean lacrosse season is done. Heck, the MLL is still playing. Go watch the best field lacrosse players in the world. Why wouldn't you? I love that stuff. I just wish we could see it more up here. I just wish we could see it more. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. One last point of business before we get out of here. Uh, it is the man of the week. And I could have picked Jeff Cornwall because, let's be honest, he scored the game winner. I could have picked Aaron Bold because, let's be honest, he was the MVP. I could have picked Robert Church. I could have picked Ryan Dilks. I could have picked Kyle Rubish, Chris Corbeil, Riley Lowen. Uh, Sorchetti, LaFontaine, oh wait, what am I doing? Pretty much everybody on that Rush organization deserves to be the man. From Bruce Urban through Lee Genier through Derek Keenan all the way through to the athletic trainers, you are champions again. The city is a city of champions. A city starving for a professional lacrosse and a professional sport that absolutely embraced the professional lacrosse game. One of the best quotes from Bruce Urban was that they turned spectators into fans. And that's a true example of why this organization worked and why they had so much success on the floor as well as off the floor. They're probably going to sell like 13,000 season ticket holders next year. Like, this is going to be what Colorado was 10-plus years ago. What Philadelphia was like way back in the day. What Buffalo was like back in the day and now. What Calgary is slowly becoming. What every other franchise now and forever to be modeled after and they're the champs baby two time two time champs of the national lacrosse league and for that they are the men yeah you can tell Now that the National Lacrosse League season is over, it doesn't mean that the OTCB podcast is done. We will no longer 
uh, be posting just with the NLL radio crew. We'll just be covering pretty much everything. The NLL season uh, may be over for the playing, but there's still plenty of news and notes to come. And as mentioned, there is still a crap ton of lacrosse yet to be played. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. I hope, I hope you all have a great offseason. Enjoy your summer, and we'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.